Hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That is the goddamn theme in this show. That is our theme, to encourage people not to die. You've said that before, right? What? I've I've heard that somewhere before. We we say that every time, right? Yeah, to stop dying, no yeah, dying, yeah. And dying is unacceptable. But in the background, <laughs> I see the the uh, uh, state another state of mind, the social distortion poster. I see that Chuck, oh, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. that back there. So on the way back the other day. We were discussing, you know, because concerts sneak up on you. Ohana Fest mm-hmm. is sneaking up on us. Power Trip is sneaking up on us, right? So, oh, I, are I you said, doing that too? I said, yeah. Well, part of it. I said, you know, that the metal thing is in like five weeks or something. It seemed like it was next year, and now all of a sudden, <laughs> it was. It's it, was. Like, it was like nine months out until yeah, yesterday. Like now next it's- <laughs> year, and then it's then it's like in five weeks, and uh. Because he thought it was at the Rose Bowl. And I was like, no, 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 it's at no. it's at Coachella. She said, it's not enough bands. And I said, no, I know, but but <laughs> they're going to have it like they had the Bob Dylan Rolling Stones thing. And immediately we both jumped to, Jack Grisham was sitting in front of us at the Rolling Stones Bob Dylan show all weekend. <laughs> and, really? and we couldn't really see because Jack was in front of us. <laughs> well, Why didn't you tap him on the shoulder? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, well, you no, know I got to tell you, because because it was a sit down concert, but Jack was standing up. He was very <laughs> excited all weekend, especially, <laughs> might I say, for Paul McCartney. So in my mind, and I was saying, you know, because she doesn't know who she, he is. I go, you know, he was the coolest human being alive in Orange County in 1979. And she said, re- and Chrissy said, really? <laughs> you, you, Are you, know you sure funny? it was it, him? It, if you would have yes, tapped tap that, that giant him. man on the shoulder, he would have sat down and felt bad for blocking your view. That's that's how much no, he's changed since 1979. No, everyone there was standing up, but we were in, Jack was in the front row, and then we were in the second row, right? So if the person in the front row sits down the whole time, you can pretty much sit down the whole time. But Jack would get excited and stand up. Never more so, I might say, than when Rihanna came out with Paul McCartney. I think Jack was going to lose his mind. I didn't know what a big fan of Rihanna he is. So then that led to the education of Chrissy Forrest once again about Orange County Punk. I'm sure she just glazes over like Elvis and Sydney do. But <laughs> like I, was Amy dri- does, yeah. I was I was driving and I couldn't notice the glaze over. So I said, you know, of all those punk rock bands, you know, because and I said TSOL, their second album, they get got uh, or uh, some part of their second incarnation, they got dressed up like like the um, Clockwork Orange guys and everybody was scared of them and the punk rock and da, da, da. But yeah, (laughs) Jack Grisham was the coolest guy in Orange County when I was in high school, my senior year of high school. And then, um, and her, we always have these conversations about how fascinating it is how people turn out, right? 
right? That mm-hmm. you give it time and see what they turn out like. Now, now he's a big teddy bear and, you know, he helped so many people, sponsor so many people, whatever. But in 1979, Jack Grisham was the coolest guy at the Cuckoo's Nest, which was the coolest place in Orange County. So thus, he was the coolest human being in Orange <laughs> County. At least in punk rock circles. <laughs> but then, but then, and then I talked about Joe Wood, that they kicked him out because and got a rock and roll singer guy. And then we went on tour with that guy, Joe Wood, Woody Woodman. Um, and... And but she doesn't really know TSOL, right? Because she's 40 years old or whatever. She doesn't know TSOL, how important they were. The only band that 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 that, that generation really knows is on your wall right there. And that is Mr. Mike Ness, and that is Ball and Chain. It's it's oh, as yeah. if the cuckoo's nest and all punk rock circle jerks, all that Orange County punk never existed in the next generation's minds because none of them translated over into mainstream except for Mike Ness. And I don't, and I don't know how that happened. How uh, It is the weirdest thing out of all of the Cuckoo's Ness, punk rock, Orange County bands, it's Mike Ness that, that came out of it. I'll tell you how. He had a manager and his name Garno. It was a fucking amazing manager. Told them what to do and told and Mike said, I'll do whatever you say. You know, I mean, I think that's yeah, but the, the story. music didn't change that much. No, I the mean, music he's, didn't he's change, been, but he said, yeah. I'll follow direction because yeah, that's the oh, part of getting, part sober. Of getting sober. That, well, that's, yeah. that's an interesting thing, though. Well, no, wait, wait, wait. For sure, Jack Grisham, sober or loaded, is an unmanageable person. There's <laughs> no way to manage. There's no wait. I can do you one better. <laughs> there is no way on earth that I, no way on earth that Keith Morris can have a manager, and is going to listen to a manager. Well, you that is didn't a either. fact. <laughs> Bob Forrest from Thelonious Monster, that guy, unmanageable. Right. right? Mike Mart, Tex, Tex, unmanageable. Wait a minute, <laughs> Mike Mart is on to something. Let's go through the list of bands. Hey, hey, bug. Let's go through the Bugs list of bands. You guys. That, hey, hey. The list of bands that are unmanageable is the list of bands that no one ever heard of. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, oh my a- God. And the bands that are manageable, X, Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, uh, uh, James Addiction had a manager for years. Ted Gar, what was his name, Mike? Yeah, I don't know. B- bands that are manageable succeed. Yeah, oh my get fucking it, fucking God, exactly. Hmm. Uh, so, Chuck, you don't you don't know that story at all. I mean, Jim Garno was the one that um, that managed Offspring back in the day too. No, I thought I thought Chris Chris Martin oh, and was no the guy doubt. Who handled a bunch of their stuff. No, nah, that's a day to day person, Jim Garno, and, and he managed back. No doubt, he's like a legendary manager. And then and then he decided smartly. I don't know the guy that much. I just from the from the, afar, but he decided at a certain point, like I'm not doing this until I die. I'm going to have a good life after. You know, like he's one of the few people in the music business that's kind of said, "Yeah, I've I've done everything I need to do. I'm going to retire and enjoy life." I, I just admire that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There are some eighty year old dudes still still fucking clocking in 
Got to control the universe. <laughs> Got to control the universe. <laughs> well, well, well they, they're not doing a very good job. <laughs> yeah, they are. They got Metallica. The they got Metallica. They're not everything. the 80. <laughs> <laughs> only, like, only like Mick and Keith are 80. No, the managers I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Oh, the my man- God. You know, there's managers that have been around since the 60s. Well, yeah, I guess I guess it gets easier. You know, it'd be it'd be second nature, and I understand. I want to leave something for my kids. Yeah, I just I just wow, being manageable. Whoa, that's a revelation to me. I got to tell someone like wow, about at the that. age of fucking sixty three, man, you finally after all those failures in the music, I realize why I fail. You realize that you're unmanageable. That's amazing. So, but <laughs> or that or that my Ness is the only manageable punk rocker. Well, that's you know, another spring was manageable. Yeah, but they're, they're but they're, they, they, I'm going by the, they I'm weren't 79. That, that, I'm going by yeah, that. Yeah, they weren't 79. Well, I do yeah, believe. I'm going by that original. The blue, there was a blueprint now. And whether the blueprint was a hodgepodge of black flags getting the van and, and, you know, major label interest and co- and college radio or K Rock. There was a blueprint in 1979. There was just the Cuckoo's Nest. That's all there was. And you know who yeah. was another very a very popular band, but he couldn't. He wasn't as cool as Jack Grisham is. Steve-O and the Vandals. That they they were they were up there in the king world of Orange County punk. Vandals. Let's do the yeah. 10 legendary Orange County punk bands. What, all right, let's go from 10 to number one, right? Oh, uh, okay. okay. I'd, have to have the, I'd have to see the whole list first. China but White, you did... number one. China White. <laughs> no way. Get out of my... Uh, one of the best no, number one ever. Number one has to be social distortion because we just said the one person yeah, on earth one that everybody We got to save that one. It's got to be number one, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Channel yeah. three is still kicking ass and taking names channel, and they do a great channel, job. Channel three is, 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 are the adolescents, are the adolescents, They're are the adolescents no, from Orange County? Yeah. They're, they're on the list. So Chuck, can you make a short list? So we're going to name the 10 that are in there. So, okay, but, but black flag, black flag, and circle jerks are not. They're from the South right. Bay. So Orange County punk rock bands, ten greatest punk rock bands of all time. Orange County, TSOL, Channel Three, Adolescence, Social Distortion, Vandals. Um, Vandals. Who else? That's five. Oh, I know. Because I'm thinking of Offspring. Offspring's got to be in there, even though they're twenty years later. They got to yeah. be in there. Well, yeah, Offspring. because everybody knows who they are. Okay, um, so what are the other ones? Hold on to everybody. Think for a second. Yeah, Channel Three and Adole- Adolescence Amoeba for sure. I've always wondered right, if Amoeba did Amoeba Records and name itself Amoeba after the song Amoeba. That's a great question, but that's a Detours song originally too. So we'd have to go back to Detours because out of Detours came Adolescence, Di, and Social Distortion. Unless Mike Ness was in 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 whatever band you're saying that that you know we got six offspring is six. What about is that? It is forty five grave from Orange County. Oh, no. they're L.A. Wow. Yeah, the crowd, the simple tones, the crowd, Rick Elric, that the whole Beach Boulevard is, record. 
the crowd, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the Rick L. Rick is on there. Yeah. The crowd is, so that's seven. The uh, question it's, is, are simpletons. JFA is from here, right? Jody Foster's Army is from Arizona. Agent Orange. Agent Orange just has an instrumental song. Fucking Agent Orange tours the world, bro. They they tour still all the time. Brazil, Europe, everywhere. I would have simpletons, simpletons before Agent Orange. They don't play anymore. They don't count. What? I'm just talking about the greatest. We're talking about. You're talking about success. You're talking about success. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm just talking about the greatest punk rock bands and the most successful band. We've already determined that Mike Ness is the only successful person out of the Cuckoo's Nest. We already have established that fact. You know, a a TSOL is pretty. Is you know, I mean, they've got a lot of stuff going, dude. So I would put, you know, I would put them and the adolescents somewhere in the tie. You know, adolescents probably in the tie. They can tour everywhere. Um, TSOL's got to be right up there because, you know, uh, they're just. But but what I'm trying to, I was trying to make a point. You guys are missing my point. I'm trying to talk about multi-generational. I was at the cuckoo's nest. I knew that it seemed like TSOL were equal to fog hat. To me, because I was a little kid <laughs> in the parking lot, and they're rock stars, right? Yeah, a- they're rock stars, and it's at the place where rock stars play, and I'm a little kid who doesn't know anything about the world. That th- that thing was so huge to me, that that parking lot, and pulling up there and parking and and watching everybody. That that was the the whole world to me, and and Jack was the king of it. But in fact, it was only a parking lot in Orange County is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> right? Right. right. But right. out of that parking lot came that guy that's in that poster, Mike Ness, who became internationally famous for the song Ball and Chain. Right? I, that's what I think. That's the yeah, point that I'm song, trying to make. That and song so, because like in, middle class never made it. Uh, the Chiefs never made it. Um uh, riot gun never broke out of here. A lot of stuff stayed local. Yeah, and that and the point is that Los Angeles had that same thing. We all talked the same thing, Mike, in 1979. Screamers, germs, uh, nerves. The screamers, germs, and the germs and the nerves. The eyes. All those original punk bands. None of them made it. Who people know came out of that world is the Go-Go's. That's the band. <laughs> you know, you have to think about perseverance, right? Every band that has been successful and is still touring, X, any of these bands, the Go-Go's are still touring. They all persevered. They lasted longer than anybody else. If you didn't last and constantly tour, you got left behind. That's why Agent Orange is is huge yeah. asian orange can fill, i mean they can fill up places you can't believe dude they are they're huge and the crowd has stuck around i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but um the crowd is also another one that just stuck together you know they changed members and stuff but they got decker and k they've just persevered and they but, play festival wait a minute though bands that nobody goes and sees are not going to continue to exist just because you want to persevere. They're not going to, you know, there was a certain point where there was a certain point where JF, Jody Foster's army played and two people showed up and it, and the last time they played four people showed up and they just decided to pack it in. 
same as Thelonious Monster. That's not true that if you just stick together, you'll succeed. JFA there's a reason. There's, huh? JFA is still together. You're yeah. kidding me. No, Corey from oh, the crowd play plays with them. He plays bass what? with them. Well, what, Dude, what band has together. broken up? What band has broken up besides Thelonious Monster and Texan the Horse Axe? <laughs> Everybody else is I still I get playing. your point. <laughs> <laughs> what, why is Jody Foster's <laughs> Army not as popular as Agent Orange that you're saying is so big? I, I don't. So there is a, but, but the point I'm trying to make out of New York City, to us as rock and roll fanatics or whatever, there's television, there's Richard Hell, there's there's uh, 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 Patty talking Smith, heads. there's the Ramones, there's Talking Heads is a, is a little Blondie. bit one notch above what I'm talking about. But there is only really Blondie that came out of CBG base to the world. To the world. That's all I'm saying. There's no, all the these talking go heads. What are you the, talking about? The, the talking the, heads. Well, I don't. You're like, going to argue for the sake of <laughs> argument. I'm trying to make a point that you refuse to listen to. The only band that people know out of the mask in the world is the Go Go's. The only band out of Orange County that people know in the world is Social Distortion. The only band out of CBGBs that people know is Blondie. That's the point I'm trying to make. By the way, two girl bands out of all of those scenes, by the way. That's interesting. But you yeah. can say, yeah, talking heads. Talking heads are unique. How about after 50 years of saying he hates them, he's never... When I read Chris Francis' book, I was like, oh, for sure the talking heads are never getting back together. Oh, my God, guess what's happening as of a couple weeks ago? Talking heads Thank are getting back together. Thank God. Tina Weymouth? Is that is that insane? Like, I think that's fantastic. Basically, David in the book, they, they call David Byrne the most egotistical, maniacal narcissist in the world. And I read it. I remember I was sitting on the toilet here in my house in Claremont. I was reading it, and I thought, oh my god, because there was because <laughs> there without glimmer of hope that the talking heads are going to get back together. I don't know why I have it. I saw the police get back together, and it was like. I left early. Oh so why we want these <laughs> bands to get back together, I don't know. The only band reunion that was better than the actual band was the Pixies. That was the only band reunited kind of thing that was better than the original band. Hmm. Pixies. Right? Replace replacements. I was just like, the replacements were great. They played their songs great. But it was just not the same. Like it no. was, it was thirty years later, and it wasn't the same. Jane's Addiction. I remember I went to the first time Jane's Addiction played back together at the Olympic Auditorium, rehearsing to go on some big tour, and I left early. I was like, I don't know. Bands have places and times. I think Thelonious Monsters' place and time was nineteen eighty nine. Rogies. If you saw us there, you saw something magical. If you saw us in 1999, not so magical. It, it, not so magical. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some of the most explosive groups can't stay together, you know, and you you lose that piss and vinegar as you get older. It's kind of sad. Wait a minute. Randomly, I saw the New York Dolls reunion after 35 years. I was at the first show. You want to know how random it was? Guess how random it is. So the Chili Peppers on tour <laughs> in Europe, 
and they had some uh, problems that I know how to deal with. So I went out there to try to help manage that problem. I, I failed completely at it, by the way, Chuck, as you know, we <laughs> fail. We fail. This is the thing, Mike, you have to understand. When you're in the business that me and Chuck are in, you're going to fail nine times out of 10. So you get used to failing. You understand failure. You don't take failure personally. Mm-hmm. And you try to obfuscate, which is to avoid responsibility Ooh, for the failure. Obfus- Obfuscation. You try to obfuscate, meaning, well, what can you do, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Well, and you yeah. have a room. You have either a room full of parents and family members or band members. Like, what the fuck? We paid you to help with this, and they're like, oh, well, you know, it is not <laughs> up to the addict themselves. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so. So but they asked me to come out at something I had failed at, immediately failed, Chuck. Like hit the ground within by the end of the day, I was a failure at what I was called to do. <laughs> but you so, weren't because you but, got paid. <laughs> I didn't get paid. I got free airfare to Europe, as by the way. There you go. Because uh, when you're working for friends, it's just like, hey, come out on the road with us. So I'm out there and it becomes um that just to help out with uh, one of the members kids right that that was out on tour so i'm like you know i, I love kids i'll watch out and whatever but um i didn't i kind of failed at that too by the way it was supposed to oversee make sure nothing goes wrong and uh i was kind of a failure at that i kind of didn't didn't you lose track of somebody Yes, that's the instance. Yes, <laughs> yes. And a note got slipped under my door, Bob. We went out to eat. Uh, to see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I already told that story. Oh my god! But I didn't. You didn't know why I was there. I wasn't brought out to to look after the teenager. I was brought out to help with a with a, a with road a mem- with a road member, not a band member, a road member. And I failed at that. So then I was. I was demoted to watch the teenager failed at that. But on that <laughs> little 10 day tour, the red hot chili peppers were given tickets to go to the, to Morrissey's party, all oh, tomorrow's yeah. parties. The and it Jubilee. was a reunion of the New York doll, New York dolls, the first reunion. And no one wanted to go. Cause they were all exhausted. I think they might've even been out of the city of London. And I went by myself and sat and watched the New York Dolls reunion. And the only good thing about it was watching Arthur Killer Kane's face. He was beaming from ear to ear for the entire hour. They actually were, we, it was weird. It wasn't, it was so, it might, might have been the weirdest reunion of all time. Because the, if there's any band that's not supposed to be 80 years old, it's the New York Dolls. Yeah, well, a couple <laughs> of them didn't make it. <laughs> no, most of them were theirs. Uh, well, Johnny Thunders wasn't, but Sylvain was there. Arthur, Jerry Nolan, was the drummer was there, I believe. I what year that. was that? In, in 2003. You can look up was the New York Dolls. Right? I think he might have been. So, oh. so... Uh, it was just so weird to look at the New York Dolls, the band you've only seen on Don Kirshner's rock concert video and on an album cover, <laughs> animated and playing for an hour. It was no shit. It was a little bit like a Disneyland ride with animatronics. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but Arthur Arthur Killer Kane was so happy. 
he was he was ascending he was he was transforming in the universe he was so happy because he you know, that was, at all huh he was the oldest one because i like the fact that he was called the rock and roll statue for the longest time no, he, he, just he had there, a nasty habit but, of standing but he had in a total smile place. <laughs> on his face. It's a smile yeah. on his face and his bass. He's he's one of those guys that when he's a bass is on him, it looks so big. You know what I mean? Nowadays, basses seem like bass players are so physical. I just what reminded me of the Metallica show is uh, I saw a picture of the bass player of Metallica. Robert, like, that guy, Robert yeah, he plays it up straight up and down almost. Yeah. That guy. Mm -hmm looks like he could snap the bass with his left hand it, he might crush the <laughs> neck he might crush the neck of the bass you, you know what i mean he owns it but so, but so the old son. martin plays that way too where the bass is right at their hip so the neck sticks way out that was arthur killer kane he was the neck sticked way out so but you know what the one thing getting back to the original punk rock in the same conversation about mike and jack and all that and the multi-intergenerational kind of uh, confusion of what's important, right? When I say to Chrissy, Keith is a living legend. She just looks at me like, yeah, like it's Keith. Like <laughs> he, <laughs> you know what I mean? To, to us, we know. We're lucky he didn't die. We're lucky he's alive to soak mm. up all the greatness that is a guy who was a sing singer of the greatest American punk rock band, and then probably the fifth greatest American punk rock band. Keith Morris was the singer of two of the ten greatest punk rock bands. Off has and, a huge following, and off, ain't, really off good. ain't bad. Yeah, but Off's not not making group sex. One of the greatest albums ever made. I mean, you, you know, the Circle Jerks were amazing. Everybody, we didn't even think about Black Flag because Black Flag Beat was becoming some heavy metal band at that time, 83, 84, 85. Black Flag was a metal band with Henry by 83, right? 84. They do damage, but then they really become a heavy metal band by 84. I don't know. I think they just stuck with their whole weird, like super loud brash guitar i don't i don't think there was ever any in metal chords incorporated in greg ginn's repertoire yeah but that's talking <laughs> as a musician but the music was 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 misogynist it was aggressive in ways that only metal kind of is i didn't get that i'm i'm sorry I didn't slip get it in slip it in you didn't you didn't oh that, yeah that's a good that one slip past you yeah but there's a nun on the cover so <laughs> <laughs> slip it in you think they play that anymore <laughs> no not with uh mike Vallely singing mike Vallely does a really good henry rollins but you know, oh God, I'd never go see him again. With with the younger bands, there's just that reckless abandon of youth, the unbridled, just like New York Dolls were just insane because they didn't give a shit. As you get older, you know, you get a little bit more, you become more self aware. How could you possibly be the same band at forty or fifty as you were at nineteen or twenty? Well, nineteen and twenty more, is a I great it, dumb time. I think it says more about the audience than it does about the band. That people just want to relive. See, I don't want to relive 1988 when Ritual de Habitual came out. I don't need to relive it. I was there. I saw it. Mm -hmm. I was at there. You know what I mean? And people want to go back and relive. What do I want to relive? 
I really do like reliving Pink Floyd. I've gone to every uh, uh, David Gilmore show in the last 20 years. I love reliving that time of my life when I was 13, listening to Wish You Were Here with headphones on, kind of stoned with like a pot seed in my hair. I love that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, see, for, for other people, 88 is that time. 88. 88. For, for some other people, that that is their time, you know. Yeah, and so on. people keep people keep going, you know. And you can do it. Uh, and we were talking about music all weekend for some reason. And Chrissy asked who what my favorite artist of like uh, the early nineties was, and one of them was Annie DeFranco. I used to love that girl. Kind of like I thought she was just amazing. Mike, did you ever like Annie DeFranco? No, but I know you thought you could date her at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that had nothing to do with how much I liked her. I, she was I just thought- an amazing songwriter, and she was coming from a different angle. Like, she was like, Woody, you know, like, this this guitar kills fascists. I, I, she was just a force to be reckoned with. And she's been kind of forgotten. R.E.M.'s been kind of forgotten. All these bands just kind of get forgotten. <clears throat> R.E.M. quit. They sold all their publishing for like a billion fucking dollars. And then they just cashed in it. They cashed in and said, we're not, we're, we quit. That was like right. 2010 or 15 right. or something. No, earlier than that. Yeah, but, maybe but, earlier than that. But yeah, that's, but that's so, where they went. They just went, fuck it. We're out. Right. So, so let me ask you this and the, and these scenes come and they go and, and whatever. So Orange County to me was the cuckoo's nest. All the bands were there. If you went there, they were all there on a Saturday or Friday night in the parking lot, either playing or hanging out. I've been to Minneapolis when it was replacement soul asylum, Husker do. Um, and a rec- they were at a record store where the replacements used to rehearse in the basement. It was actually better than going to a replacement gig to go to that record store and go get to go downstairs and see the replacements rehearsing, right? Who's could do like, there's all these times and places LA with chili peppers and Thelonious and fishbone and Jane's addiction, those four bands, right? It was time and place, but the things that transcend that time and place are people that keep moving forward, I think. You're saying that it's people that are manageable. Also, that keep moving forward. I think a good manager wants you to keep writing good songs and telling you you're not writing good songs. That's one thing I've noticed getting back into the music business the last three years is no managers are saying, hey, I I don't think that's very good. Like, I think you could do better. <laughs> I don't think any no managers are saying that to anybody nowadays. But I think... I think Gearnoff had to have said that to Mike Ness, like, you know, push it, push it, push it. You know, I had, I had John Doe saying that to me, Mike, John Doe was like a manager mentor. He was like, you're lazy. I remember my, uh, John Doe saying, Bob, you're a lazy songwriter. And I got really pissed off. I was like, how so? And he goes, well, a rarely is your third verse better than your first verse. And I was like, and I was like, Oh, that's true. <laughs> Third, well, same as the just, first. <laughs> yeah, you just need four lines. If you've got a good four in the opening, don't kill yourself for the third one. Like, you know, nobody cares. 
Right? You just need to get four you need to get four lines in after the guitar solo to sing the chorus again. It doesn't really matter what those four lines are. Short verse, double chorus out. Yeah, so <laughs> so, my, so John Doe's the one that told me I was lazy and he would not accept laziness, and that's why stormy weather's so good. I think good managers do have done that to their artists. I know that the Chili Peppers have gone through that with Q Prime. I know that Beck has gone through that with John Silva. I know there are people that tell them, hey, this isn't good enough. And when then you look at the bands that are not managed anymore, nobody's telling them it ain't good enough. Nobody. Oh, <laughs> nobody is you know, telling what Elvis? You want it's seven o'clock on a school night. You want to go see a movie? Well, I want to see. I've been wanting to see. Talk to me. It's been in. It's been in theaters. For a see while. if it's on. See if it's on TV and just buy it. No, but it'll be on TV. It's been in theaters so long. I'm on the podcast right now. For Christ's sake, I'll be done in <laughs> ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> Parent. When does parenting end, Chuck? When you die? Is that when it ends? Yeah, that's what okay. I've heard. <laughs> it just never ends. Like I, you know, and I get. And understand the Forrest household has three different children, all at different, like, uh, like stages. Like Elvis is a teenager. Sid's like second grade. She's getting a little moody. Idris is two and a half. And we, we're going through this thing with Idris. Let's let me sidetrack about this. And parents, Chuck, you're a parent. Mike, you're a parent. Part of me thinks he needs to go to preschool just to, Somebody else try to wrestle with his will or his feistiness or whatever his his spirit, right? Some some third party needs to deal with him because he is he is a holy terror, right? And another part of me thinks I don't want to do that to some poor lady teaching preschool. Holy God! But when you sign up, this is my point or a question: When you sign up to be a preschool teacher, aren't you signing up for I just Forrest being in your class? Yes. Isn't isn't that what you're yeah, signing yeah. up it, well, for? All all of them, and the socialization of little animals when they're only used to one way of doing things, and and he some needs, learning in that direction before they before it gets to actual school, they learn a lot. He needs to get eyes and ears on it because everyone was outside, and then he wanted to be inside, and then. And then as soon as he realized he was being allowed to be inside, he started pounding on the front door, screaming, I want to go outside, outside, outside. I was like, dude, two minutes ago, you said you didn't want to go outside. It depends on it, it depends on where you send them. I mean, if you send them to like a Montessori type of school yeah, 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 or, yeah. Or, a, uh, or a Christian one, God forbid, um, you know, it's God different forbid. than if you, like we chose... <laughs> Devin and I are not Jewish, but we chose to send our girls to a Jewish preschool and they learned all about, you know, the art and music and they had plays and they had fun and they did a little math here and there. And then they, you know, they had, they grew up great in this creative atmosphere with a bunch of doting Jewish women. So what are you saying about Montessori? Montessori is the one that we looked at. We're not supposed to, he won't, he won't survive there. Uh, it's very, very uh, rigid. But Just, when he looks at you, so he looks at me kind of like, he's kind of like the boss baby. Ever seen that TV, that yeah. movie? <laughs> he looks at you like Robert. He looked at me like three hours ago, Robert, I didn't want to go outside <laughs> two minutes ago. But now I wish to go outside. 
open this fucking door. <laughs> That's what he looks at you like. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a tiny little guy. Don't be looking at me like that. Aren't you well, kind of sticking those words in his mouth, Bob? <laughs> no, he looks at you with this anger and open the fucking door, you idiot. There's a lot of Bobby Forrest in there, I think. Well, yeah, that he comes by that honest, right? Right. So, so but I'm, if, so, if it so, serves him. But let's go back to the Orange County Punk. So of the original Orange County Punks in those 10 bands, <laughs> of which we only got seven, I believe, yeah. because we're the Don't Die podcast, and this was never planned, and you'll never see anything posted about this of the list and try to clickbait you and get <laughs> oh, you Oh, and I'm sure we'll get corrected all up and down, <laughs> fucking, you know, slapped so, around. So Who cares? Of I don't those bands, Of those bands, how many people died of drugs? Half? Uh Orange County bands? Orange County punk bands. How many people in Orange County punk bands died of drugs? Hey, wait a minute. Not that many. A lot A lot have died of weird natural causes, right? A lot, actually. Rick L. Rick. Rick L. Rick. Rick L. Rick, 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 Rick was brain cancer. Steve-O yeah. was an opioid overdose. Okay. Dennis was uh, brain Dennis hemorrhage. Dennis had an aneurysm, aneurysm. And, um, and just died almost instantly. Okay, that's the way I want to go. That's the way Brendan Mullen went. Brendan Mullen did went that way. Did you know the Brendan Mullen story? It was his birthday. He was out to dinner with his best friend, this doctor guy, Steve, I think his name is, and his wife and, and the doctor's wife. And they and Brendan said, oh, I have a headache and wanted a glass of water and just fell over in the restaurant. Oh, my and God. That was it? No, don't say, oh, my God, Mike. I think that's a good way to go. Like, you're out at dinner. Everybody's get there. It's a it's birthday. It's for everybody around them. It's a rough, <laughs> it's a, it's a rough memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Going back but, to that place. Jesus. But, I mean, I, I, think, I don't know how old he was. Not very old. Maybe he was still in his 60s, I think. Maybe 70s. But I can see Bob no. posing for, with all of his kids holding up Idris. All, they're all around him <laughs> at Epcot Center. And boom, falls <laughs> over an boom, Oh, right. I thought I was going to die at Disney World three different <laughs> times. I felt like Fred G. Sanford. Sydney, I'm a coming. Oh, I'm my coming. God. That humidity <laughs> makes you feel like you're fucking dying, Chuck. That's why people eat faces down there. Wait, what? Florida, dude. <laughs> Fuck Florida. Hey, you know what? D Florida doesn't want Disney World. Disney World needs to move to, like, Arizona. I like dry heat. Disney yeah, great. World... Disney World needs to move to Tucson. That's that's it's what not, has to happen. It's not like they can unplug it and put it on a truck and ship oh, it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disney. They can do anything. Disney can do anything. Yeah. Move that motherfucking amusement park to somewhere dry. Hey, did you see that article Chuck sent with the San Francisco arresting like 473 yeah, yeah. Oh, fucking dope dealers? I was get, that's how I was gonna open the show and I fucking forgot. I was yeah. at Walmart today. I was at Walmart today in the wonderful city of San Dimas, Glendora. Shout out to Gage and his peeps out there. Uh, the Glendora Walmart had a line 15 people long to get out because they are checking every cart that leaves. There is something going on, people. Something shifted in the last seven days that that retailers are tired of fucking theft and shoplifting the police are tired of drugs 
shop owners and, and business people are tired of cleaning poop out of their front steps and yeah. they are taking mm -hmm. it into their own hands. It's not Moscone or any government people doing this. This is like Walmart saying enough is enough. We're not going to lose a billion dollars worth of fucking stuff because local police force won't arrest shoplifters. Yeah, but that's Fuck the mayor. You. That's the mayor of San Francisco and the police department just finally said, Fuck this, man. You know, they're, yeah. they're selling poison and they're killing our people. We're going to go and round them up because they're shooting drugs in the middle of the street. Uh, and, and they do that so Walmart. They were checking, checking little old ladies looking in their carts with the receipts to see if they had paid for everything that was in their, in their bag. And I, good for them. I they do that at Costco. Luckily, I love luckily it. Luckily I had done it. I had, you know, cause lately once in a while, you know, if something doesn't scan, I just throw it in the bag. Anyways, I got to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you know this wrong living gonna catch up with you bobby <laughs> it's the universe telling me this thing is all fucked up just put it in there just go uh but, but this how, time, how, works. Like, how works the universe works. how it works how i've got a lot to learn only still. how come in aa you only align yourself with the honest part of the universe there's a dishonest part of the universe too <laughs> You don't okay. think there's a dishonest part of the universe? You're not really teaching your kids that crap, are you? <laughs> no, but this is just among adults right here. Are you telling me, oh, look, it accidentally fell in my, my bag. No, oh. no, literally <laughs> when the gun doesn't do it, when I click on the thing and it goes, it doesn't go beep. And, you know, when it you do it three or four, the universe rule is three or four times. You smooth <laughs> out. Wait a minute. There's whole rules to this, Chuck. It's the universe. I know, but think, three or four. I you think don't the universe, think the universe has rules. So you, <laughs> three you or realize, four. like, you got to smooth the bag out, you know, because the, the, right. the, the barcode is not smooth. You do that three or four times, you just throw it in your bag. if it's a, and, and it probably scanned. It did probably scan. I don't even know if I stole. The universe will not allow me to know. I know that I spent an enormous uh, amount of time trying to scan this thing. I think it scanned. I'm, I'm hoping maybe it didn't, but it's going in the back. So that had not happened today because all I bought was a bicycle, and you can't get out of there with a bicycle. All what right. if you write it out and say it was yours? Uh, I did. I did have something else, but it was a private. I so we lost. <laughs> the, we lost it. We. I had to get it tagged going in. We lost the cord to the TV in the car. So I just couldn't watch TV. So I had to bring that TV into Walmart, look for the exact cord, and buy it. And I didn't trust that they would tell me. So I I had that with me. So I had I had a portable TV. I had a cord that I bought and a bike. And so I didn't have to worry that I didn't pay for um, my grapes or something. Oh, you know, it's funny that there's right and wrong in those stores. Who says it? Here's the thing. Let's get into this because this is a AA thing at its core, too. And there's a lot of AA listeners and a lot of recovery people. The universe has really unjust, awful things about it. We always say, we we superimpose man's morality onto the universe. The universe is violent and horrible and hideously torturous, right? There's horrible things about the universe, right? Uh, that's your perception of the universe. What is the perception of a nine, uh, say like a seven-year-old child who just sees joy and fucking love and honesty and right and wrong and 
What what is it? What is their universe like? Some of them have leukemia. Is that a universe? No, no. I'm I'm being totally until the universe has disease in it. Okay, so I guess it just has shoplifters that fucking teach their kids to be shoplifters. (laughs) No, I don't teach my kids. Don't even know I do it. They don't know. They're standing right there. They don't know. That's why I do the scan thing. (laughs) They're gonna know. They're gonna know. You're gonna. You're gonna. You cannot keep that quiet. They're going to well, use this I mean, podcast but, in their books. No, but the, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There's like lots of different things that I think people impose their likes and dislikes, moral uh, rights and wrongs. And I don't think it's as simple as human <laughs> beings make it out to be. For instance, like, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to get into it because if you, there are things that, uh, for instance, um, living in chaos, like I, I have friends that are alcoholic and have sworn, you know, in order to really stop the disease, don't have children. That's a, that's a moral argument, Chuck. If it's a, right. if it's a genetic predisposition, you want to stop it. All the people with it need to stop procreating. Fuck. You know what, man? The world has war. I'm going to go steal a car. It's not the same moral thing. If you want, if you really want to guarantee that there's no more alcoholics left of all this suffering that's caused, you would not create more potential alcoholics. Do you follow that logic or not? Well, well didn't didn't Vikings did that when someone was crazy, strap them to a mast and send the boat out. You know, they didn't want those people around part of their. And I have met know. very few Viking crazy people. Other than, <laughs> other, other God, than, what are you saying is that all Vikings are fucking crazy, man? <laughs> no, no. This brings, no, it, this brings it round back to the Vandals who posed as Vikings many times. They had the Viking hat. Oh the water Viking buffalo. suit was a great song. What happened to the uh, San Francisco? Did you see that box of fucking drugs they pulled off the street? <laughs> it looked like a fucking fruit basket or something wrapped in cellophane. It looked the weirdest fucking colors if I've ever seen of any drugs. So okay, like just- well let's let's do that. Is it morally wrong to deal drugs, Mike? In your opinion, is the universe in the universe of goodness, and then the not being in the universe of goodness is dealing drugs wrong? Well, that's a good wow. question, I guess. I don't um, think it is. I don't think it is. I, I, I is, is in is, my, in, in my universe, it's wrong. <laughs> so there you go. Because, okay, you, you but, it wasn't, your own but it wasn't wrong 35 years ago. Well, you know, we were all, <laughs> we were all breaking into houses and doing drugs back then. <laughs> Everything was fucking. No, but. So, but I don't think you were a bad person then. See what the, what I'm saying is the cartoon-like vision that people have. You were a good person that was a had a disease that that made you choose make poor decisions, right? And the same right. thing about sobriety. I think people who are sober lie about their behavior just because they think they're supposed to present as good all the time and whatever. Oh, I'll give no, you an example. I I, I'll give you an example. <laughs> so I've always been one to give a suffering addict 20 bucks to go get well. I've been judged since the first time I did it, right? Is that right or wrong to do according to the 
AA universe, moral, Mike Mart, good, bad. Well, now way. consider this, Bob. <laughs> it's not the same. You know, you could be given a drug addict $20 that could go and kill himself. You could be given that guy his death sentence. Okay. And I could also be being giving an act of kindness and it's up to him. I'm not in charge of his will. He asked me for $20 because he's sick, because he's sick. And I gave it to him. And that is where the, where my responsibility in it lies. He then picks up that $20 billion bill and whatever he does with it, with his will and the decisions he makes, that's on him. Is that not correct or incorrect? You could also say that you might have stopped him from robbing an old lady, knocking her down and busting her head because yeah, he got yeah. the money and he didn't have to go do crime. Oh, that's so, true. No, but how you come know, everybody you, criticizes me for that and says I'm enabling people? Like, I, I never have gotten that. You know, fuck them. No, but I'm just basing it on when I used to go to Third and Gardner is a big AA meeting in Hollywood in the 80s and 90s, Chuck. It was called, it's kind of like your beach meeting. It was like the meeting in, in Hollywood. And I would go there sick and I would ask people if I could bump five bucks or whatever and try to get 20 bucks together to get well. And I remember getting preached at by a lot of people. I, a lot of animosity towards me. Like, fuck you, man. You just come here to bum money for dope and all this kind of stuff, right? Real anger. We love to portray ourselves as the community that loves. There's a lot of anger towards using addicts in our community also. And I got both barrels from a lot of people. And by the way, I've lived long enough to have those people relapse and be able to help them try to achieve sobriety again. The same people who blasted me at third and Gardner in 1994 for being a scumbag. And you only come out here. When are you going to get willing? Da, 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 da. Those very people I got sober, they relapsed. I helped them get sober again. So it's a long journey sobriety, but I'm telling you that. Oh, thank you. I just, you're the best. You're the best sharer. How come you're so monstrous otherwise? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> How come you're such a dick, but you're so nice? <laughs> but he is so kind and he's so kind and thoughtful. He's so kind and thoughtful no, in that way. Not. But when he wants to go outside and you're the one that can turn the handle, get out of his way. So, so anyways, I want to stay on this one point because I think, I think it's important. I asked for $5 one time. A very good friend of me and Mike's gave me a $20 bill. And I said, I, and he had it in his hand and he said, go, you know, I hate to see you like this, Bob. I love you. I never forgot that Chuck. Mm -hmm. Every time I see that guy, I never forget that. I, I've talked to him about why he did that. You know why he did that for years? I thought he was just the kindest guy. He did it because he didn't have any fives or ones or ten. <laughs> and he wanted you to go. He <laughs> wanted me to go away. It was cheaper. But, yeah, Jimmy didn't want me to get in his car with my poopy pants. He, you know what, Bob? He wanted you to leave his house without his records. <laughs> no, I do think that, that you know, there's that, is it right or wrong? Mike's point is very correct in that somebody could die. I've never given somebody money who has died that from that thing that yeah, time. I know. But, Nowadays, it's so weird. But I see your point, too, Bob. And but, I've, but I've, I've just done wonder, the exact I, same thing. I just wonder what is the universe's role? The the uh, this this alignment with goodness. We we tend to like put human experience. We put human emotions on 
right and wrong and we try to disguise it with calling it the universe or god's will i you know i don't know about that yeah chuck you're uh, absolutely yeah, right you're absolutely right you you're absolutely right being unkind to somebody could kill them i i know for a fact aa members have been unkind to using addicts and they have died as a result of that unkindness i have no mm-hmm. question about the, no doubt about that no it's because they weren't done bro <laughs> you know, I, 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 there, there is, a, there is a, there is a part of our, and I hate to say ours because I'm not a part of that group, but the that that whole thing, if if you're okay with it and you can live with it, who am I to judge what you do or how you do it? That's not me trying to be good. It's so I can live with me at at, at the end of the day. AA, so much- AA, AA is big time back in my life. I'm not going to say why, but uh, there's something going on in my house. So AA is a big hmm. part of my life again. And 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 discussions about the pious, um, we're so great, we're so good thing has been Ooh. a a debate around here right and i say well you can focus on those people it's fine but there's also assholes like me that don't give a fuck too there's a lot of people in aa not just the phonies who are saying all their superimposed what's happening is it's a very close friend of mine and their their aa friends are superimposing their bottoms their first you know their moments of clarity their early sobriety onto this person in my life and she does not like it at all no universalizing an experience like that why does everybody have to superimpose their experience on newcomers when I was new, this, you know, I know I had to be cut off. I had to be this. Like, no, you weren't. A, AA people misrepresent because I'm old enough to have been there when those people got sober. Um, yeah, uh, the best example, I'm going to tell you an AA story that's exactly this. So a, a, a kid that me and Anthony love, we've known him since he was 15 years old. We just love him. He's just the sweetest. Still, Mike knows him too a little bit. But he relapsed after 14 years because he was a big shot. He became a really big video producer, director or something. And he relapsed and he was really in trouble. He's in all kinds of legal trouble, whatever. This is about 20 years ago, I think now, 15 years ago. And me and Anthony were trying to help him. We tried to help him a couple of times. He'd leave rehab. I took him to the, to the place. And what's the place in, 20, in uh, Desert Hot Springs, Mike? That great rehab. That we, I drove him out there. And he left after like four days. And I was like, I drove to the fucking desert for you. So he's <laughs> running around Hollywood. I see him at the Friday night third and gardener meeting. And he's got a girl sitting on his lap and he's high out of his mind. And I walked in the side door and I was just walk away. He goes, he goes, hey, hey, there's a seat next to him. He's saving it. Like it's the girl's seat. Obviously he was on his lap. I was like, ignored him, walked away. And he's, so it took about, I would say three months to reel him in. He comes to my office at MAP on Vine Street, and he's supposed to come at noon, and we're going to get him in to cry help or somewhere. I forget where. Might have been back to 29 Palm, uh, back to Desert Hot Springs. Um, the ranch. Remember, Mike? The ranch in Desert yeah. Hot Springs. That was yeah. the fucking greatest rehab. Oh, my God. Chuck, if you ever had an ideal job, the ranch. It's down this dirt road. They will not drive you out. 
So if you want to leave, walk. I know so many people that have walked, Brad Valdez, John Pashante, they just walk out of there. It's like 10 miles in the desert. <laughs> and they're just walking. They're just walking out of there. Are there skeletons on the side of the road? <laughs> it's walking on this dirt Turn road back. in the middle of Joshua Tree National Park. Like, which way to water? But no, you can see the town that you're walking to, but it's a long walk. <laughs> so I just I just love that. Yeah, you can leave. Fine. Yeah, leave. And it was also social model detox. How about that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So, so for those, for those in Milwaukee who have never, uh, you know, too young to remember, there used to be a detox uh, modality called social model. And it meant no matter what (laughs) drug, no matter what drug, including methadone, you get nothing. You can take a bath. (laughs) You can take a bath. You can take a walk. (laughs) I, I, Mm -hmm. I did it at the ranch. And, the, and really, when your legs are kicking, to walk out in the desert like at 2 o'clock in the morning is pretty good. It, it really does help. It, it really does. The whole idea that you need meds. I, I've kicked with nothing. Anyways, so so the guy's, the guy's supposed to show up at my office before 3 o'clock because you've got to drive him somewhere. He doesn't. He shows up at 5 o'clock. I call my friend. I say, dude, he's here now because he hadn't shown up or whatever. What do I do? And he goes, I, I said, can I drop him at your house? And the guy said, no, no he's not staying at my house. So let, let him stay at your house. And I was like, no, he's not staying at my house. And we, um, <laughs> and, and I remember this whole thing went on to like 10 o'clock at night, driving him around Hollywood, trying to find somebody to let him stay at their house until we can bring him to treatment the next morning. Cause it had been going on quite a while. Chuck, you understand the situation. Yeah. Nobody wanted to let this kid stay at their house because he had burned us all. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I got Anthony's credit card. He paid for a motel on Vine, that international motel that has all the flags next to Vons on Vine Street above Melrose. Anybody remember that motel? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's there anymore. It's, it's now work spaces or whatever they tore it down. But I, I went there and paid, the, and then I picked him up in the morning and went to rehab. I don't really remember whether he got sober at that rehab, but shortly after he did get sober. So he's got like three years and he's speaking and I'm sitting there at a meeting and I'm hearing him tell his pitch. Right. And in his pitch, he hit bottom. He called Anthony. Anthony called me. We, we brought him to treatment. He got sober. And I was like, I was like no, because right? I'm like, because no, he, he just followed direction, Chuck, of course. Just following oh. direct. That's the key to sobriety is following direction, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm old and I smoked a lot of tinfoil and I'm like, and I've helped a lot of addicts. So I didn't know if I got a story mixed up or whatever. Like, uh, that's not what happened. I remember chasing him. I remember driving <laughs> him to the desert and he left. I remember him sitting in my office becoming kind of pissed off because I won't let him stay at my house. I remember mm-hmm. giving him $20 to get well, right? And mm-hmm. so, and it's just like, whoa, whoa, am I wrong? Am I hallucinating? What happened in this story? And then I realized, like, everybody has their made-up version of what happened. Mine is made up, too. Mine's made up, too. <laughs> the idea that I got sober because I was scared of prison. I'd had that prison sentence hanging over me, Chuck, for three years. If I was so, if I was so scared of it, why would, why did I get sober three years earlier? It's all we kind of make it up. 
I just remember, and much like Mike, I woke up after ODing, and I've never used again, and I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Every other time, I went and got loaded immediately. I think sobriety is much more of a mystery than we want to believe. And we have a program Mm -hmm. that tells us there's a reason and an explanation for why you got sober. Mm. I don't think there is. There really isn't. Bob Newworth used to say it wasn't a particularly bad day when I got sober. Remember that, Mike? He said it wasn't the worst day ever. I'd had way worse days. Yeah. I just think that, that I was, and this is sudden and dramatic, a sudden and dramatic psychic change happens to the individual. Everything else, like what I'm doing with this lovely, wonderful person in my life, all of that stuff is just of the educational variety uh, you know, compliance versus, uh, uh, you know, uh, surrender. It's all just battling with the disease. But I believe true sobriety is just sudden and dramatic and mystical. I really do yeah. believe that. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, didn't, don't you, when the people are new, when they're sitting in treatment, don't you go, man, you, you've made it, you're in the sweet spot. This is the part a lot of people don't get. You made it to here. Yeah, it's going to be fucked. It's going to be up and down. My first year was horrific. I would never want to do it again. I have been saying that a lot. Like the first year is kind of, you just have to make up your mind. You're not going to use no matter what. Mm -hmm. That term has been forgotten. All 90 and 90 will never be forgotten because it's punitive towards new people. You need to go (laughs) to 90 and 90. You know what I've always say to people who say that? You need to go to 90 and 90. When's the last time you, well, how is it? How it, uh, people, people with time don't have to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Why is that only aimed at newcomers? I do right? love that because there wasn't even a meeting every day when this stuff was put together. That's 90, 90, but way 90, later 90 on. I was away since COVID. Now I'm back. 90, 90 is really one of the most quoted things to new people. It's not in a big book. It has nothing to do with AA in any way. It's just a personal opinion. It's bullshit. They didn't have meetings every week. They had, they had a meeting a week. That's what I went. I went to a meeting a week. My home. But NA, NA is where I learned no matter what. No matter fucking what. And Bill Wilson has a lot of papers that he wrote about no matter what. That when push comes to shove, no matter what. You just don't pick up a drink. No matter no what. Job. How come, wipe, how wipe come no, no matter what is falling by the wayside, but 90 and 90 is very is probably top five quotes in AA towards newcomers. Why you know is who that? says 90 and 90? are the people that did 90 and 90 and they feel everybody should. Because that's <laughs> um, you know that, I don't right? trust it. I want to see a court card. But, I want to see a court card. But, I want to see if, idea of- every meeting signed off on. If you're in treatment for 90 days, why wouldn't you go to a meeting every day? You know, that's, I don't, I don't see the problem with it. I did, I did more than that because of that home group I was with, but I did that for the first three years. I did. Is it 90 days days in treatment, 90 days in uh, meetings, isn't it? I mean, you can make that argument. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the idea. I think, I think that that got totally misconstrued. Like somebody said, you know what? (laughs) Meeting makers make it. Meeting makers make meetings. They don't always stay sober. I know a lot of people that go to meetings and they'll stay sober. I know a lot of people that didn't work steps and stayed sober. I know well, a lot Mike of people. Mark, did, when Mike Mark got sober, he went to one meeting a week. That would be 90 weeks. He went to 90 meetings in 90 weeks. That's excellent. And it worked, didn't it? I did because 
<laughs> I called my sponsor every day and I went to my home group. So as not to get confused because I can get confused by a lot of different ideas coming in. And I just knew that, you know what, if I go to fucking meeting after meeting, I'm going to hear so much crap. I'm going to be just like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? So I went to my home group and listened to my people every week. Right. right. And so my thing was, I went all the time. I, you know, because meetings were the one thing I really hated and faded away from. So when I was dedicated to no matter what, I'm going to stay sober. I just went to meetings and, and, and I'm still not a person that browbeats new people that they have to go to meetings every day. Right. If you have kids, you can't go to a meeting every day. If you, you know, if you could spend your time more productively making dinner for your children, I'd rather you do that. Then just right. go check checklist off a meeting. But the thing is the commitment to not using no matter what. That I learned in NA, not AA. I learned that in NA from a guy named Frank Vila. At, he was one of the original founders of NA. He had a sober living in North Hollywood. He had the letter that Bill Wilson wrote them saying, you should start your own program for narcotic addicts. Wow. How fucking cool is that? Wow. And this cool. guy used to love saying little tiny Mexican dude. Yeah. Like, you know, just don't use no matter what, just no matter what, no matter what you don't get loaded. That statement is much more helpful to new people. We don't get loaded no matter what, then you need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Right. Or but when are you going to get it? When are <laughs> you going to get it? Right. And so, I'm back. I'm going to have a lot of things to say about the new AA experience for me. But, All right. I'm looking but, forward to it. Right. But, but that, that really is, I, you know, maybe I'm just such a narcissist. I just don't think anybody could have my experience. I don't think anybody could get sober the way I got sober. I don't think anybody <laughs> could. Well, it's quite possible. Anybody, I don't think anybody <laughs> could get sober this way. So why would I want to insist that other people do it this way? Right. I, I you know, I, I'm an atheist. I turn my will and my life over to nothing. <laughs> right? Nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. And yet you talk about God. Well, I turn my Quite world. My, I ask I ask Gloria Scott what universe. she here's the thing. I turn I, yeah, most people that are say they're agnostic. You know what agnostic people are? They're just cowards. They're too cowardice <laughs> to say they're atheists. <laughs> That's the truth. Oh, I'm, I'm glad agnostic. that you don't like I'm glad you don't stir shit up ever. <laughs> <laughs> But I asked Gloria Scott, the greatest atheist AA member of all time. Well, Chuck, uh, remember that guy, Mike, that had the agnostics meeting on Saturday night? Uh, Charlie Polachek. Remember that guy? Yeah. He had a, yeah, he was the greatest. He was. There used to be this old guard, Chuck, of agnostic AA people. They were all in their 70s. One of them was a, he was a blacklisted screenwriter, one of the 10 blacklisted screenwriters. It was the editor of the LA Times, this older lady. Um, it was such interesting people. Like they had such interesting conversations. And a lot of times agnostics, uh, uh, AA kind of gets a lot of complaining about the regular AA. And those elders of agnostic AA used to say, we don't need to talk about other people's experiences. We talk about our own. 
Meaning, because you can't you can't project at what somebody in a in an orthodox AA meeting said at you if you're just talking about your own experience. So I was forced to ask, what am I turning my will in my life over to? And I asked Gloria Scott what she turns her will in her life over to, and she said service. Hmm. Right. So so to me, she said, love is a verb. Love is in action. You can't just sit around and talk about love. You have to express it. You have to show compassion towards others. So anytime that get this, what this woman signed up for, instead of just saying a prayer and believing in God, which is pretty simple, she said, anytime a, an addict asks me to, to do something, drive them somewhere, help them be their sponsor, whatever, anytime. A suffering addict asked me to do something. I do it as an expression of my willingness to stay sober. That's, yeah. that's you know, love in action. So I did that. That's, that's, what, yeah. that's, what, that's what led me to this nightmare career in recovery. I should have just said, <laughs> I believe in God. Here's what should have happened. I should have said, know? I believe in God. Gone to 90 and 90. Over to the care of God. I should have gone to 90 and 90. I could should have kept Thelonious Monster together and we'd be as big as Agent Orange. How about that, people? <laughs> <laughs> wow. If you could only Thelonious go back and Monster, do it over. <laughs> think of how lucky, uh, wonderful that would be, Chuck. Thelonious Monster would have like 11 horrible albums with not one good song on it, right? <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Everybody would want to hear Walk on Water. <laughs> yeah, every time. <laughs> yeah, 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 we, Nothing would be different. The new albums, it doesn't matter. Oh, Play the hits. <laughs> Play it. Oh, I, I should have been a believer. I'm a believer. I can leave her if I tried. I should have been a believer. I should have turned my will, my life over to the care of God. I should have said, fuck service. I should have stayed being Thelonious Monster and written uh, Ball and Chain. That's what I should have done, Chuck. <laughs> you, you should, it's just D-A-G, man. It doesn't get much easier. <laughs> anyway, I'll tell you this. Mike Ness can craft a fucking great song. He is though, a great man. That guy has he spends the time, doesn't fuck, you know, doesn't throw in anything that's not supposed to be there. It's like, he, you know, it's like he's an it's animal. A formula. He's, like yeah. a, he's got he's it. Like a he's songwriting. Got a formula. I'm going to go. Dude. All right. We're going to sign off and say goodnight before we have a Mike Ness love fest. Okay. I do love, <laughs> I do love Mike Ness so much. But let me tell you this I'm going to go and look at Mike Ness's third verses. I'm going to look at like six or eight songs and see if he's a lazy songwriter. Yeah. And then send them to John Doe. Hey, John, you think this is lazy? Is this a lazy third verse? Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, you guys. Good night. Lazy third but but uh, can we, can we leave you. it with this? Social Distortion, the greatest Orange County punk rock band who ever lived. Is that correct? I say so. All right. Chuck, can you agree with that? Yep, sure. No, he <laughs> thinks it's offspring. I know he thinks it's offspring. <laughs> I know it. All right. Good night. Good night, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>